you're listening to sermons from Grace Bible Church in Eufaula, Oklahoma. We're a church on mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn more at gbcufaula.com. John says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that you pour out day by day upon your beloved, upon your people. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst, for the growth that you have brought about in our lives as individuals, spiritual growth as well as you have grown us in number. And what a blessing it is to see the fruitfulness of your word as it does all that you've sent it to do, Lord. Father, I pray that as your word goes forth this day that that you would uh, again accomplish all that you desire through it, Father. I pray that you would bring justification to the sinner, to those who do not know you, whether they have not heard or whether they are deceived, Father. I pray that you would justify sinners before you this day through your word. And Father, I pray that you would sanctify your saints, that you would cause us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of you, that you would make us more like you as your word goes forth this day, Lord. May it make war on the inside of us with all that is of this world, and may your word prevail in us. Make our lives to be fruitful for your glory and for your great name, O God. And help me, Lord. Help me as a sinful man to proclaim a word that is holy. Give me words to speak, O God. And give us all ears to hear, eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. The title for the sermon today is Knowing Christ, the Test of Christian Conduct. The Test of Christian Conduct. John is writing this letter so that we would know, right? This is a word that is used about 40 times in this letter. 10% of that is in this particular text. Four times he uses the word know. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. No guessing, no wondering, right? He wants you to know you are either not in the faith or you are in the faith. You either have assurance or you are still in your sins. Right? He wants us to know. And the test that's before us today is the test of Christian conduct. Right? The first test that we were given, we saw in the the first four verses. The first test was the doctrinal test. If you remember what John is doing here. And and by the way, back up just a second here. Right? As As we're reading through this, it's like there's... 
It's like there's two things going on at one time. He's exposing sin and he's giving assurance. You're either in one camp or the other. He's either exposing your sin and showing you that you're not really in Christ or he's giving you assurance that you are in Christ. Right. And so the first test was that was was of a doctrinal test that that if 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 you if you are in the church and you say you belong to God, it must be in the person of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, the person through his work and through what he has done and what God sent him to do, that salvation comes to man. It is by Jesus and through Jesus alone that man is saved. Right. And, and the Gnostics of that day or what would become Gnosticism of that day. Right. They believed again that 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 all spiritual is good and all material, natural, physical things are are bad. So as long as we're spiritual, these natural things don't matter. Right. The physical doesn't matter was their ideology. So they disregarded their sin. They disregarded their conduct. They disregarded everything of the natural world as though it was meaningless and they claimed to be spiritual people. John is challenging that, right? It's not about being spiritual. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. It was the doctrinal test. The second test was the sin test, right? What do you do with your sin? Do you see your sin, right? If you confess your sin, he says, then the blood of Jesus covers you. You have forgiveness of sin. So do, are you the one who says that you have no sin or are you the ones who have laid your sin at the foot of the cross of Christ, believing upon him for salvation? That's test number two. And today in the first word we see and right. He's changing ideas here. He's changing ideas. He is shifting to the next test. The next test is that of obedience. It is that of our morality that of our behaviors, of our conduct, right? This is the test of Christian conduct. Do our words match up? Do our actions match up to our words, what we say, right? I think this is uh, important for us. I think this is critical for us. It's, 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 it's been such a blessing to see this gathering grow. It's 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 not only for us. I'm hearing this from multiple pastors that I know in, in different places that sudden growth is coming in particular churches, churches that are seeking to be faithful to God, to the word of God. Right. And, and I think that it in part is is because that we see that the day is drawing near. Right. Evil is increasing in the world. Um, and, and, and people people want to know the truth in part. Two, I think there are a lot of churches who have lost their way. A lot of people who call themselves pastors who have departed from preaching the word of God faithfully. And it's shallow and people want the word of God. The two greatest testimonies I get are that of people who have come here over the last six, seven, eight, nine months last year, since the beginning, really, is, is, that, the, is that the preaching of the word of God, right, especially uh, sequential, going through a book of the Bible, expositional, actually preaching what the Bible says. People are hungry to know what the Word of God says. And the second thing is the rich fellowship, which is a result of the first. This is a timely letter, right? This, the, the, for, for us, right? T to know 
to know to have assurance that, that we are indeed in the faith. Right? John wants us to know this is the test. This is a, this is a pass-fail test. This is, this is either you get it all right or you get it all wrong. This is not graded on a curve. This is the test, the test of our Christian conduct or lack thereof. So let's look at this uh, together, starting in verse 3. The, f- the, first, the first thing we see is that your conduct must be consistent with your confession. Your conduct must be consistent with what you confess. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. By this we know that we have come to know, right? This, this word know is, is, is more than just a simple knowledge, right? I can, I can know about something and not be intimately acquainted with that something, right? This is a knowledge that's, that's not surface level. This, this knowledge is, is an acknowledgement. To know is to acknowledge. Uh, in Exodus 1.8, uh, there was a new Pharaoh, right? There was a new king in Egypt. It says in Exodus 1, 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He was not uh, acquainted. He did not acknowledge Joseph, that, that great servant of the Lord who interpreted a dream and saved the people of Egypt. He did not acknowledge Joseph. Right? He did not know him. To know is to acknowledge the uh, 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 Christ says that his sheep know his voice, right? John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They acknowledge his voice as being the voice of their shepherd. And they carefully follow where their shepherd leads. We must acknowledge Christ, that he is God, that he is the son of the father that he is the savior of his people and that he is Lord over all. To know him is to acknowledge him. To know him is to experience him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did not know sin. Right? That, that is to say that he never experienced sin. To know him is to experience his love and power. His power that pardons sin. His power that bursts forth genuine love in our hearts. His power that subdues our sinful passions. His power that comforts us Uh, In our time of need, his power that enlightens and lifts us up. And every other blessing that flows from the Holy Ghost proceeding from Christ to us. To know Jesus is to acknowledge Jesus, who he is and what he has done. To know Jesus is to experience his love and power. To know Jesus is to commune. To have communion with Christ, right? Speaking with him in prayer and praise. Laying bare our hearts to his heart. Receiving from his divine fellowship and imparting to him 
all of our sinfulness, all of our griefs, all of our sorrows, to know him is to commune with him. That is what it means to know. Do you know? By this we know that we have come to know him, to acknowledge him, to experience him, to commune with him. To know Christ is very much the same as knowing any other person. I know Pastor James really well. I talk to him all the time. He talks to me. We have communion with one another. I'm acquainted with much of him. I've cried with him. I've had joy with him. I've sought counsel from him, he from me. I'm welcome in his home and he is welcome in mine. Our families have dined together. We have fellowship with one another. It is no different to know Jesus. As we acknowledge him, experience him, and commune with him. And how do we know that we know? He says that we keep his commandments. That we keep. I like this. The word keep here, it means also to guard. It has the idea of guarding. We guard it because we treasure it. Right? To keep, to obey. It is to obey. To keep is to obey. And it's, it's in the... Uh, It's in the present tense, which means it's an action in process that's not complete. Right? Anybody's keeping of the commandments just to complete work? You've got it perfected? No. We're, We're working through it. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. To keep His commandments is to guard them. Right? To keep His commandments is an ongoing process that we're working towards as we grow in the grace and knowledge of of, of God, right? We're to keep, we're to guard, and what we are to guard are His commandments. Now John uses the Greek word here, entole, which is referring to a specific command. He did not use the word uh, uh, namas, which is the law of Moses, right? He used the word entole, the specific commands of Jesus, and not the law, because By the works of the law can no man be saved. Right? The the, the law of Moses, you have to keep it all or you're condemned. And no one has done so except for Jesus Christ Himself. That is the propitiation Pastor James talked about last week from verse 2. He kept it. And was the sufficient sacrifice for sin because He kept it. the law of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the commands of Jesus in the new covenant, it is a covenant that is filled with grace, right? We seek to fulfill the law of Christ. We seek to fulfill the commands of Christ, and we can't do that perfectly, right? Some people would look at this and say, well, I, 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 can, never, I can never measure up, no, no. You can't, but Christ did. There's grace. There's grace in the keeping of His commandments. But we have to desire to do so. There has to be a desire deep down within us 
to do what Christ commands. We are to keep to guard the, 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 the commands. Right. And what are those? Right? There are many. For instance, John 15, Jesus says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. There's one. He said the same thing in the chapter before or in chapter 13, verse 34. A, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, John goes to great lengths to show the commandments of Christ are, are, are seen in our love for one another. Real love, genuine love, the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts is displayed from us to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's by that, John says, Jesus says, that the world will know that you're my disciples. There's one command. What did Jesus say when the Pharisees tried to trick him? You know, uh, which one's the greatest of the commandments is though they were going to try to trick him and get him to pick a favorite one so that he, they could, you know, cast stones at him. And, and he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He just summed up all ten commandments in one statement. There's a command of Christ. Oh, there's another type of command from Christ in Matthew 28, right? All authority and in heaven on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. There's the authority it comes by. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, right, into every nation, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There we see it again, to observe his commandments. To keep his commandments. It should be the objective of every Christian to search out all that Christ has commanded. To meditate on his commands and to make them the law of their homes, the law of their lives. We must keep them in our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. When we keep his word in our heart, it's what comes from us, right? It's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out. We're to guard our heart. We're to keep our heart with all vigilance. This is, he has written his word on our hearts. Right? He has written his word on our hearts and we must desire to fulfill them. There's desire at play here. Are you desiring to keep the commands of the Lord? Again, what John is disputing is Gnosticism, right? There's those that have come into the church and mingled with the people of God that say that these physical things don't matter. These come, what I do doesn't matter as long as I'm spiritual. And John's saying, what you do must match what you say. Your conduct must be consistent with that which you confess. Right? I think in our own day, what this is attacking the face of is, is what's known as antinomianism. It's a big confusing word. Comes, the word anti means against. Namas, I said a while ago, means the law. 
against the law. And there are many in our own day even proclaiming from pulpits that the law no longer matters. Uh, that, That Jesus fulfilled the law so the law no longer matters and it's all love and grace and mercy and daisies and roses. And they neglect sin. They neglect the real issues. They're against the law as though that doesn't matter anymore. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fill it up on our behalf. The moral law stands. It's important, right? Paul says it this way, Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We can't. Right? Your conduct must be consistent with your confession. If if you are walking through this life claiming to be a Christian but not doing the things that Jesus says to do, if your actions aren't adding up, you know it. You're not in the faith. You're not, you're, you, 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 you don't pass the test. I had to come to terms with this in my life. Back in about 2005, I, I would have been a Christian for a long time, but I was not acting like a Christian. And the Lord himself drew a line in the sand for me. My conduct was not what I confessed. I was not living like a Christian. I was living like a heathen. And if if that's you, if you you are living a life, a hidden life, if you do things in secret that you don't want everybody in here to see, that's a problem. That's a problem. Because your confession, your, your conduct must match your confession. Your behavior should look like that of a Christian. There must be obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ and a desire to do so. There is grace in it. We're going to fall short. That's why he just said, my little children, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. It's implied. It's a process. We're working through it. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Number two, growth in conduct reveals God's love at work in you. Growth in our conduct, in our behavior, in our obedience to Christ reveals God's love at work in us. Right? Look at verse uh, four, and, four and five. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Right? Whoever says, I know him. So they're claiming this. Acknowledgement of Jesus. They say they've experienced Jesus. They say they commune with Jesus. But does not keep his commandments. He's a liar and the truth not in him. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about this verse. The man that says I know Christ and does not keep his commandments is making his own damnation sure. He signs, seals, and stamps it every day. 
By his profession of being a follower of Christ, he confesses that he knows what he ought to be, yet by his actions he proves that he is not what he ought to be. And so he is bearing witness against himself, judging himself, condemning his own soul, and challenging the, uh, the dread sentence of everlasting perdition. God save us from such a lie as this, says Spurgeon. The one that says, I know him and does not keep his commandments. He is a liar. He is tangled in a web of hypocrisy. He is tangled in a web of hypocrisy. He only wants the benefits of the Christian, but wants to remain in his sin. One, or he's a sheep's and wolf clothing. He has other intentions. I get fascinated by the likes of people like Benny Hinn, by the way, if you don't know. He's false. His nephew spilled all, Costi Hinn. Check him out. He's awesome. Right? How does a person come up from a young person up through the church and become this phony? He would become rich, playing off the hearts and emotions of people with false healings. How does that happen? Right? How does that slip through the crack for so many years? Or people like Kenneth Copeland, who twist the word of God, give you a feel-good message that makes you feel as though you are God, the very temptation that Satan gave to Eve in the garden, and gets rich, rich, mega rich, off feeding you a half-truth that sounds real good, but ultimately is damning people. He who says that he knows, yet does not keep his commands, he has heard the holy inerrant word of God and twisted it to suit his own passions. He has lied to himself, he's lied to others, he's lied to God, he has robbed God. And if he will rob God, he will rob his own father and mother, and he will rob anybody for that matter. Right? The one who says they know him, but their life does not reflect it in their actions has lied to God by their false confession. And to what end? Reminds me of a man named Judas Iscariot. Who was closely acquainted with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who spoke with Jesus, who carried his money bag, was his treasurer. And what did he knew the language? He knew the talk. He dwelt among the people of God. But in the end, what happened? Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And his end was a gruesome, disgusting death apart from God in eternal damnation. Right? But, verse 6, sorry, 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, right? Two verbs I'm going to draw your attention to, one we've looked at, keep, right? Keep is a process, it's, it's, it's present, it's, it's um, 
It's in progress. It's not complete. We're, we're to keep his command. We're keeping his word. We're, we have a practice of keeping his word. Right? The second one I'm going to draw your attention to is the word perfected. This could also mean complete, genuine, perfected. The love of God is perfected. And that one who keeps his Word, this verb is perfect tense. Something that happened in the past that affects you right now in the current state. How did God demonstrate his love for us? And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died not only to justify you, to give you a legal standing before a holy God. He died that you would be sanctified, that you would continue to grow and to make a practice of keeping his commands and grow in holiness and Christ's likeness. And not only did he die for that, he died for your glorification, that final salvation for when we see him, we'll be like him. He died Sealing your perfection. And we are walking in it now. Right? It is, it is the love of Christ. It is the love of God at work in us. That is causing us to keep his commands. <laughs> are you in doubt? You're either saved or you're condemned. There's no fence. There's no line. You don't have one foot in and one foot out. You're saved or you're condemned. Right? If you are not forgiven, your sins lie on you. You are standing in the wrath of God. Hell awaits you if your sins are not forgiven. But there's grace. And it's not too late. We just saw if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Do you see your sins? If, if you are not keeping his commands, if you are saying that you are a Christian, that you are a believer, if you speak the language, but your life does not look like a Christian's life, if you are not walking the walk, if your actions don't measure up, confess your sins. Bring your sins to the cross where blood and water flowed for the sins of all who would believe upon him. Where the just, perfect life of Jesus will be counted to you because of his work. Because of confessing your sins for putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will forgive your sins and grant you his righteousness and grant you the power and the Holy Spirit that causes us to walk in grace. Growth in conduct reveals God's love at work in you. The love of God can be clearly realized when you put into practice obedience to his word. This practice cannot be achieved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. Right? It takes God to produce godliness in a human being. You can't produce it. 
You, you can't pull up your bootstraps and, and, and grind it out to be holy. It takes God to produce godliness. And if the Holy Spirit is at work in you and you're keeping his commands, you're keeping your, his word, you're striving, you have a desire to fulfill the commands of God to be like Christ and you're moving in that direction, it is because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in you and God is doing that work. It's been perfected in Christ and it's coming to pass. That's assurance of your salvation. You have assurance one of the biggest things that drive me crazy in the church, and it's been since the beginning, mainly since 1600, is the idea that you can lose your salvation. They need to read 1 John. You can have assurance. You can know. You can't lose your salvation. Jesus said, nothing can pluck you from my hand. Nothing can, no one can pluck you from the Father's hand. All who come to me. I'll never cast out, but I'll raise them up on the last day. He who has the power to annihilate your sin and seat you in heavenly places has the power to keep you for eternity. You can have assurance of that which Christ gives. If the Holy Spirit is at work in you. If you look back to the moment that you said, I believed and you look at where you're standing right now, if you have grown in holiness, it's not because of you, it's in spite of you. It's the work of God in you. You slowed it down. And me. It's God at work. That could be the definition of grace. God at work. Is His grace at work in you? If so, you have assurance you have assurance of salvation. What a beautiful truth. Third, your way of life reveals if you know Jesus. Your way of life reveals if you know Jesus. Look at verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. More verbs. There's a lot of verbs in here. Whoever says he abides. One of John's favorite words. One of John's favorite words, John 15 is my favorite ch chapter in John, and John is my favorite book. John 15. He uses this word over and over, abides, abides, right? This means to continue in, to remain in, to stay in. Who, whoever says that he abides, that he continues, that he remains in, that, that he stays in Christ, Ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ought's an interesting word. It, it, means, it means be in debt. Right? It means be in debt. It can also mean here be necessary or have a moral requirement. Have a moral requirement. If you say you abide in Christ, in Jesus... You have a moral requirement then to walk in the way in which he walked. Right? And walk. This is our behavior. This is our conduct. This is uh, the conduct of one's life. Right? We drive cars. 
And the metaphor today would be drive, right? In this day, it was walking everywhere they went, right? They walked from here to there. Walking was the way of life. Walking is metaphorical for the, the, the direction of our life, uh, for the conduct of one's life, right? So if we say we abide in him, as a result or uh as, as, as a moral requirement, we should also walk, conduct our life. The trajectory of our life should look like his. What do you say in Matthew 16, 24? Then Jesus told his disciple, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He, he, he must he must. Put back his agenda. He must set aside the direction of his life. His desires which are rooted in, in, in the, the sickness of our fleshly sin. And he must take up mine. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. There's a wide, wide path. And at the end of that wide path, there is a wide gate. And in the end, when we look back to the beginning, the majority go through that path and through that gate. It says many there are who enter by it. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We ought to walk as he walked. That is a walk down a narrow path. That is a walk to a narrow gate. And when we get to the end and we, when we look back to the beginning. Throughout all human history, it will be few. Who walked the narrow path. It will be few who entered by the narrow gate. Right. So how should your walk look? What should your way of life be? Because it is your way of life that reveals whether you know Jesus or not. One, it should be that of a new nature. It should be that of a new nature. You must be born from above. You must be born again. He must have taken your hard heart, your heart of stone, and given you a heart of flesh. He must have cleansed your, your sin. He, he must have given you a new heart and a new spirit. And with that new heart and that new spirit, we now desire the things of God and no longer the things of the world because we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. We walk with a new nature, right? We're still prone to sin in the flesh, but the heart is made new. The spirit, our being is made new. He is working on the inside to produce on the outside Christ's likeness. We walk with a new nature. Number two, we walk with the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Right? In Ephesians 5, he says to, to be filled with the Spirit. And that translates in Greek to be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be renewed day by day in the Spirit. 
We need to be filled with the spirit, right? When we are filled with the things of the world and it happens, we get sidetracked. We get distracted and we fill ourselves with the things of this world. But when we come back and say, Lord, help me, refocus me, help me, oh God. And he fills us. The spirit never leaves us. Yet there are times we are less full than more. We need to be filled with the spirit daily. We need a fresh anointing daily. We need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can discern, so that we can put to use the armor of God, so that we can be about the Father's business and not just about our own, so that we can love the things that God loves throughout our day and hate the things that God hates as they come our way. We need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That'll produce a Christ-like walk. Number three. A strong resolve to walk in his ways. We need a strong resolve. Are you in Christ? You should have a strong resolve to walk as Jesus walked. When Jesus, when it was for the joy that was set before him that he despised the, the shame and, and went to the cross. His face was set on your redemption. His face was set. He did not veer to the left nor the right. He knew what he must go through. And he did so in obedience to the Father. Is your face set upon Christ's likeness? Is your face set upon the end mark, on the goal? Paul says, I press on towards the mark. Are you pressing on towards the mark? Do you have a strong resolve to love Christ and to follow his footsteps? Is your face set upon that eternal joy that waits you? Are you investing for that time or are you investing for this time? We need a strong resolve. And take hold. Number four. For our walk to be like his, we need to commune with him. We need to commune with him. It would be no it would be no fun to have a passive relationship with my kids and just kind of watch what happens. I I want to know. I want to hear from them. I want to hear their thoughts. I I, I want to hear their desires. I want them to tell me the story about how that happened. Why that happened. About their adventures today. I don't want to just passively See the high points. I want to know them. And I want them to know me. Right? In the same way, we must commune with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can know him. Right? In order to walk in the way in which he walked, we have to talk to him. We have to pray. We have to pour our heart out before him. Sharing every joy every act of thanksgiving for what he has done and every sorrow and tragedy that comes our way. We commune with Christ and he with us through his word that keeps us on the path. It's the only way we can walk down the narrow path is with his guidance. 
It's the only way we can keep our minds is to give to him our sins. It's to confess them. To confess our hearts. To, to, to give our sorrows. To give our griefs. To give our tragedies. And then be comforted then by his spirit through his word. And to know that he works all things for our good and his glory. In conclusion. Is the process of your life. Is your daily process one that is centered around the commands of Christ. With every decision that you make. With every direction of your day. Are you considering what Christ has said? There's some discovery involved. Right? We're discovering his commands more and more each and every day. But as we do, it's a process. Are you keeping his commands? Are you guarding him? Are you guarding the word of God that is hidden in your heart? And seeking to fulfill that. By loving one another. It takes killing our own pride to love another. Are we loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are our emotions and our knowledge and, and, and our, our doing, are all those things just, just because of our love for God? Are we consumed by the love of God in all these ways with our heart, with our soul, with our mind? Are we meditating upon the word of God, seeking to keep his word? Are you abiding? Are you abiding? Are you continuing in? Or are you just kind of coming and going? Enough to hold the door open. Right? We're to remain in. Continue in Jesus. And if we do, we ought also to walk. Right? The conduct of our life ought to match our confession. And if we say, if we say that I am in him, if we say that I know Jesus, then who Jesus is and what Jesus has done should have such an effect on our life, in our life, that our conduct looks like his and is growing to be like his and is going somewhere bringing God glory. God is glorified in our obedience. God is glorified when we confess our sin, when we do fall short. God is glorified because of Christ, because of his work on behalf of sinful man. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have this assurance? You can have this assurance. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to wonder. There are many people around the world today who wonder if they've done enough. And we know that only Christ has done enough. 
And we thank you for that revelation. Father, I pray if there is anyone in this room who is lying to you, who says that they know you, but they live a secret hidden life, who says that they know you, but they're condemning themselves by not walking in the way they ought. I pray that you would bring conviction of sin, that they would lay their sin at your feet, that they would confess you, that they would believe upon you, and that they would receive the sweet redemption that you give in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that you would bring them into obedience because only you can produce that in the human heart and the human mind. Father, I pray for any who would wrestle with the assurance of salvation and I pray that they would be comforted in your Holy Spirit today as they see that you're at work in their heart, in their mind. It's not, a, it's not just an emotion. It's, it's not a feeling. It's, it's change that has come in spite of them and they desire you, O oh God. And I pray that that assurance would be a blessing to all who have it today. I thank you that... I thank you for your grace, O oh God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we can know. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.